0: You're listening to a podcast of Spurious Morality. Hello and welcome to a podcast of Spurious Morality. I'm Johnston, and with me this week I have Jimmy. Hello, and I have Greg.
1: All praise to the great one.
0: And as you may have guessed, we are here to say goodbye to John Pertwee's Doctor as we look at his final season in the role. Um, we've we've sort of we've enjoyed the Pertwee era, really, haven't we? I think we've we've said mostly good things about it i think some six parters have perhaps been a little bit longer or felt a little bit longer than they should have done but generally it's been a strong era and we will kind of briefly look at it as a whole uh towards the end of this episode but we're going to jump straight in uh by asking these two what their favorite story of season 11 is so jimmy do you want to go first
2: Yeah, I've got no hesitation. It's got to be the Time Warrior. It's such a great intro for Sarah and really gives the Pertwee a bit of a revitalise after Joe's gone and shows that it could still do well just before it ends. So, yeah, love it.
0: Yeah, I think um, I, I love the fact that we get a series of Sarah with the third Doctor. I think she's probably better known as a fourth Doctor companion, but obviously we do have this brilliant season here, uh, where she works exceptionally well with Pertwee's Doctor. Uh, Greg, what about you? What's your favourite from season 11?
1: I'm going to make it two for two. It's the Time Warrior for me as well. I think it's a very well-written, compact episode. It's very Robert Holmesy. It It uh, gives you kind of a glimpse into where I think the series is going to go in the Tom Baker era. And, uh, yeah, it's it's just generally great. Uh
0: I'm going to have to be the one that does something different then. Um, And I I really struggle with this one because I absolutely love three serials from this. And after spending the entire of the Pertwee era complaining about the six-parters, I can't actually pick between the three six-parters here. If I really had to, and this is where you're really going to think I've gone mad, I'd probably go with Monster of Peladon. I love that story. Nobody else does. I think Monstropeladon is absolutely brilliant for reasons that I will elaborate on later. Um, not to say that the Time Warrior is not fantastic, obviously. It's it's a great intro for Sarah. It's a great intro for the Santarans. You know, it introduces a very interesting and fairly unique villain to the Hooniverse, and obviously Santarans have reappeared an awful lot. Um, but yeah, Monstropeladon. I think is a underrated gem. And if I have to pick, it would be my favourite from this season. Um, But we'll talk about that more when we get to Monster of Peladon. But right now we are going to talk about the Time Warrior. So, Jimmy, take it away.
2: Yeah, well, as I said, it's my definite favourite of the season and probably a tough choice, but I'd say it's probably one of my favourite Pertwee overall, or definitely in the top three. I'd maybe quibble over which would be number one, but yeah, I absolutely love it. Um, one of the few things I don't like, and I've got to say it on this story because it starts with this story, the new title sequence. I sort of feel like each Doctor has like one title sequence that's right for them, and of course for Pertwee, it's the one he had for most of his era. It just feels weird going to this different one, but... Yeah, I get most people like it, especially when it later regenerates into the Tom Bake titles. But for me, the new title sequence just doesn't fit Pertwee. But anyway, the story itself is brilliant. And I love the slight little um, on the DVD and the Blu-ray, well, not the Blu-ray yet, but the DVD, the um, enhanced special effects really help it along because there's not much they need to change, but what little they do helps. And um, yeah, it's great that Pertwee gets a historical story because um, almost everything in his is either unity era or the future and off in space. And this off the top of my head is the only real historically gotten. So it's nice to have that change of pace. It really works well. Um, the other thing is, of course, as I said earlier, Sarah Jane gets such a brilliant introduction and especially before she settles in as the companion, like the parts where she's doubting the doctor or thinking he might have been the one behind the scientists going missing. and. Even before that, when the doctor's picked out that she's not her aunt, she's not the scientist, and the next thing Ruby's just saying is, oh, yeah, Sarah thought you were a spy. Like, she's instantly trying to throw it out, and it's a bit shady and a bit dark. It's not the sort of thing Sarah usually gets known for. So it makes a nice little uh, twist there. And, um, yeah, great dynamic. And, um, as you say, the Shontarans get a brilliant introduction, but one thing with that that was really weird for me is, that the first cliffhanger, you see the Doctor is seeing Link's taking his helmet off, and then over the next few episodes, you get like the lines about "Oh, it's typically Sontaran attitude," or "Why, that's a Santaran philosophy." And then suddenly he's like, "As I thought, a Santaran warrior." And it's like, "Yeah, you said all that, and you, you you already knew this." It's it's almost like he didn't know what the Santarans were, which could have worked at the time. Like, not since Big finished out of all these stories, like the first Doctor and. The two doctors meets the second doctor. But even in this story, you get that bit where Minx is like, oh, so you've met my people before? And the doctor's like, yes. <laughs> it's just like, okay, so why do we have him confused for the whole story and acting like he's surprised at the and when he does know them? So that's one of the few things that detracts from this otherwise brilliant story is I think they handled the new monster a bit badly in that regard. But, um, yeah, I, I love the rest of it. And, of course, Sarah, again, the scenes where she's fitting right into the medieval society and just jumping in and helping the, um, not Iron Gron, the other, um, duke. And then even the bits about in the, um, in the, um, kitchen in Iron Gron's place. And it's, oh, you're still living in the middle ages before she realizes what a silly thing that is to say. And, oh, Iron Gron and his team, we even get, it's before Blackadder ever happened, but when, um, Blood Axe or whatever says to Iron Gron, "'Tis a cunning plan!" You can't help but think of Blackadder, it's so funny. Um, but yeah, overall I love it. Um, but there's lots of little funny things like that, like um, at the end when Hal was trying to take the weapons from the knocked out Iron Gron soldiers before they can, before the place gets blown up and he's sneaking up so quietly, Gradually lifting the weapons out of the guy's hilt and then he just swings them in the corner, full belt, making loud noises, and it's like they really didn't think that through, did they? <laughs> but yeah, it's 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 fun. It's such a good fun story, and yeah, I absolutely love it, and I love the dynamic between the third doctor and Sarah. I think she had a hard job coming right after Joe, but she was brilliant from the start.
0: Yeah, it was it was a case of very big shoes to fill and I think Sarah does fill them pretty much straight away and I kind of like how she isn't just the new companion right off we go in which in many ways Joe was um you know she kind of walked in and was introduced as hello doctor this is your new companion whereas with Sarah it happens uh, far more organically I suppose um but yeah it, it's a great introduction story and it kind of it looks forward like you say it kind of looks forward it gives us a hint as to what the tom baker era was going to be like and maybe where doctor who's going um i do have to admit i love the title sequence i really like that sort of proto tom baker not quite there yet but some really interesting and innovative ideas and i do think it suits this season i think that it's sort of Again, it's forward-looking. It's a bit different. It sort of is the blueprint for what the show is going to look like for the next uh, more than half a decade, really.
2: There's this really funny bit when Sarah is saying how to the Doctor that she thought he was kidnapping the scientists, and he's like, my dear girl, I don't go around kidnapping scientists. And all I could think of was thinking back to the Hartley and He mm, and Chesterton would beg
0: to differ. <laughs> yes, it's... Uh... An unfortunate throwback. Greg, go ahead. What are your thoughts on the time warrior? I'm, w-
1: I'm with you. I love the title sequence. In fact, I would say graphically, it's probably my favorite title sequence of the classic series, honestly. I, I don't know why, but the John Pertwee shaped tunnel is just a delightful thing to me. Um, it's interesting, too, you know, because uh, as Jimmy rightly said, you know, this is the first historical story in a while. It's the first historical story in a long while. Um, I mean, the the War Games had historical elements in it, but it was, of course, not actually set on Earth. I mean, you have to go all the way back to the Abominable Snowmen to find the last time that the show was set in Earth's past. And we won't go back to Earth's past, I think, until Pyramids of Mars after this. So it's really just kind of uh, isolated by itself. And I think it works really well, you know, for that. It it really feels fresh and different and unique because we haven't spent so much time in the historical era. It's been so long. Um, it's like I said before. It it's it's very much a proto Tom Baker story, and that makes sense, you know, with uh, with now with Sarah as the companion and Robert Holmes as the writer. But it purely almost feels. Maybe a little out of place here. Like, you're so used to seeing him, like, in, in the unit environment. And I think the way that the story is structured, where it starts out in the present day with the Brigadier and all that, and then just kind of casually pushes all of that aside, like, helps bridge you into it. But, yeah, I mean, seeing him running around in, you know, the Middle Ages is, is very odd. Um, Sarah's great, obviously. Like you guys were saying, having her introduction be... Um, kind of just throwing her into this situation having her mistrust the doctor um she's she's smart i mean like the conclusion she comes to based on the limited information she has is not a bad one like people have been disappearing all of a sudden the doctor whisks her off in his you know magic box somewhere and she looks around and says well clearly he's the one making them disappear makes sense wrong but makes sense um and I, I find that, you know, very appealing, especially, you know, my given my complaints about how Joe was introduced and how it took so long for her to feel like a truly independent and innovative character, whereas Sarah just from from minute one is is kind of doing her own thing. And I and I like that quite a bit. Um, the Santarin is great. I mean, I, I have very few, you know, complaints about this story. I think it's it's structured very well, I think. Oh, another kind of preview of the Tom Baker area is the fact that this is a four-parter, and it really fits well within that four-part length. You know, I think, again, one of the best things the show does is get away from the six-parters and get into more four-parters going forward, and I think this show, this uh, story here is a good uh, prototype for that. And yeah, I mean, the the supporting characters, Iron Garan and Blood Axe, I mean, we talk about the the Robert Holmes quote-unquote double X and this is you know certainly something along those lines yeah I mean it's it's a it's a great story like it's a great start to the season and it really feels like things are starting to change a little bit in Doctor Who.
0: It's also worth noting that this is the story that very very low-key actually uh, gives us the name of the Doctor's home planet like all of a sudden he's from Gallifrey now we didn't know that before and uh, it, it just kind of appears here and it's Perhaps the first step towards the sort of transformation of the Time Lords that Robert Holmes brings about in Deadly Assassin, you know, perhaps here it, it's sort of clear that maybe he's thinking about, well, what is the Doctor's home planet? We've sort of glimpsed it here and there over the last couple of years, but it doesn't have a name. We don't really understand its society. Um, so, yeah, maybe it's just an indication that even at this stage, Robert Holmes think, is thinking about... Where does the doctor come from? What's it like uh, on the doctor's home planet? Um, it's it's a good story. It's a great story. It's really solid. It's it's reliable. I guess is the kind of term. And it, it's we're going to get a lot of very reliable Robert Holmes influenced stories over the next few years. And I think it is fair to say that this is kind of the first one. Um, this is the third. Uh, Robert Holmes' story of the Pertwee era that opens a season with a four-parter and introduces a new companion and sort of sets a new status quo. Um, and I quite like uh, how this one works. Don't think it's as good as a spearhead in terms of a season opening, introducing kind of thing. But yeah, it, it's very strong. It's a lot of fun. And it, perhaps after the Green Death, it would be easy to think that doctor who's not going to be as good now joe's gone and you know the unit family is quietening down a little bit and that's what's been established over the last few years is kind of out the window now the doctor's tardis is working he can go to space whenever he wants um i think it's perhaps sort of a nice comfort blanket for the audience no no everything's okay this is still doctor who it's still going to be great fun and it's still forward looking um It probably had more to do than is actually given credit for as a story uh, from that point of view and it definitely succeeds um next is obviously invasion or invasion of the dinosaurs if you're watching parts two to five six parts two to six um I I like this one. I think it's a really good story. It's it it doesn't feel like it goes on too long. We've complained a lot about six parters feeling like they drag on a bit. No, I don't think this one does. It does have a few sort of repeated action sequences, you know, unit versus soldiers, that kind of thing, but there's enough going on. There's a nice little pivot in the middle with the Sarah Jane waking up in the spaceship stuff. Um, I I think it's quite nice. There's a good old government conspiracy, which does sort of pop up a few times in the Pertwee era. I think it's probably done best here. Uh, we have an amazing character in General Finch. And, of course, um, spoiler warning, I suppose, Mike Yates turns traitor, which it's kind of massive, and it's kind of underplayed or underconsidered now, I think. But this character that has been there throughout the last three seasons is all of a sudden a bad guy and it's not a reveal at the end of the story it's not a part 5 cliffhanger i think it's pretty well established before the end of part 2 um the other thing obviously about this story is its reputation for the dinosaurs not looking very good now i've always thought that a lot of classic doctor who looks rubbish why is this the one we pick on because The dinosaurs don't look any worse than other things we've seen throughout the Pertwee era, things we see throughout the Tom Baker era, well into the 80s, other stuff as well. Um, Yeah, they're not great. Um, I think there's definitely room for improvement, and hopefully that's something that a Blu-ray set may fix one day. But it's not that bad. It's not unwatchable. It doesn't remove you from the story. They did what they could. Um, So, uh, yeah, I I like Invasion of the Dinosaurs, and I think it gets unfairly picked on for not looking great because actually everything didn't look great around this time. Uh, So, Jimmy, talk to us about Invasion of the Dinosaurs.
2: I'd definitely agree that it's a vastly underrated story. I think like you were saying about the Blu-ray possibly doing a better job on the um, what the dinosaurs look like, for me the thing with the Blu-ray I'm looking forward to is I think the colorization on the DVD of the first episode was so bad that I actually watched the episode in black and white and so I'm hoping when it does come out on Blu-ray that they'll be able to do the colour a bit better and we'll be able to see the whole thing in colour. But, um, yeah, it's such a great story and I love from the start, the Doctor and Sarah figuring out what's going on and what's happening, and when they get their prisoner photos, just the Doctor's smug little grin in his prisoner photos is hilarious. Um, and like you say about Yates, I think it's... It, it, they sort of underplayed a bit in this story, but it's sort of believable after the Green Death and, you know, he sees all the horrors of, you know, what humanity's doing with technology and how, you know, they all the stuff that happened in the Green Death sort of relates, but it's believable from that and from especially how he was sort of undercover and brainwashed for parts of it, that he'd sort of go like this. And I think it gets handled a lot better later in the season when he comes back for Planet of Spiders. But I think this story does it well and it's, yeah, an interesting track to take to turn someone who's been a regular for the whole time. Well, not quite the whole time. He wasn't in season seven, but, um, for the whole time that Joe was a companion, Yates was there, and it's sad to see him turn bad, but you can understand it. Um, yeah, what else have I got to say? Um, oh, another thing with this story is um, I know a lot of people say things like Mord and Undead do really through unit dating into confusion, but I think a single line in this story does it even more so with back in the Cold War days, like the Cold Wars in the past, like that would date the unit stories to, like, the 90s, so I think it's surprising that that line never gets mentioned, and it was just something I thought of as soon as I heard it in the story, but um, yeah, it's such a good story, and I think the the spaceship, fake spaceship sequence is a good one. I The cliffhanger reveal of we left Earth three months ago is just, you know, it's, it's a brilliant surprise, and it feels like it's going to throw everything out of whack, and it's so clever how they set it up with Sarah's little forehead injury so that she could realise straight away hang on, no, it hasn't been any time at all. And so I think they did that side subplot really well. It sort of harks back to um, Enemy of the World when Salamander has his little colony underground that he tells there's been a nuclear war and it's the same sort of thing. These people have got all these people locked up and telling them the world's gone. And so, yeah, it's an interesting thing to reuse and I think they handled it just as well this time round. Um Oh, and speaking of the soldiers and Yates, I love how to the opposite extreme, just how loyal Benton is to the Doctor in this. Like, as soon as the Doctor's been framed and Units having to, you know, keep him hostage and whatever, as soon as all the other soldiers are gone, Benton's just straight away like, yep, I'm ready to be overpowered. <laughs> and I just love that dynamic, the Doctor and Units. It's it's sad to see it go with the Pertwee era ending, but... Um, yeah, the unit family has just been handled really well throughout his tenure. And yeah, like I was saying earlier about the Green Death, it's nice that this has this sort of environmental message again and how, you know, they've got this fake spaceship and they're sort of brainwashing them about it. But at the same time, when the Doctor says at the end, you know, you can't just rewrite the world, take the way things are and make them better. And it's, yeah, it's a good dynamic that happens a lot through the Pertwee era and it's nice to see it come up again and of course at the end I love the temptation of the Doctor to Sarah when she's like, Not I've had enough, this has all been a lot, and he's just like, Oh yes, I know this beautiful planet. And she's just putting her hands on her ears like, no, no, no. It's like I know a lot of people think the dynamic between the fourth Doctor and Sarah is better and I can see the, that they have more chemistry perhaps, but I love the dynamic of the third Doctor and Sarah. It's brief at only a season, but I think Sarah is a lot stronger character when she first started out, and she makes a good foil for the third Doctor. I I think, even though some of the stories might not be as good, I think season 11 overall is probably my favourite season of the Pertwee era, much as I love the rest. The one fault with this otherwise brilliant story, I'd say, is the who I know it was Pertwee's idea and he made it himself or whatever, but it just looks so silly and ridiculous and pointless, and I know some people think, oh, it's great, it's funny, I like it, but personally for me it never worked. And so it's just a shame that they didn't use Bessie instead.
0: I love the fact that the Doctor has this alien flying car as much as the. F- I love the fact that Pertwee went out and got it made himself. Um, I just think it's absolutely great that he was like, yeah, I'm so into this role, I'm going to literally make a car. Um, it's great fun, and I think that's, yeah, it does look very sort of dated and 70s now, but there's uh, there's a clip where he goes on to Blue Peter with it on. It might even be on the Invasion of the Dinosaurs DVD. And, uh, yeah, it looks great on that. You can sort of see him having so much fun, and uh, it's, it's definitely one of the better times that the lead actor in Doctor Who was indulged, uh, which is probably something that's going to be discussed quite a bit over the course of the Tom Baker era. Um Greg, what are your thoughts on Invasion of the Dinosaurs?
1: So this is my second favorite story of the season. I, I I think it's right up there with the Time Warrior. It was kind of a difficult choice for me uh to pick between the two. Um I, I do think that the story gets far too much abuse for Uh, its decision to have a dinosaur invasion portrayed on screen. I I, I mean, as you said, it doesn't look any more or less ridiculous than a lot of other Doctor Who. I I think you can fairly criticize them for being wildly overambitious and thinking they could do that. But at the same time, uh, that is a a characteristic of the show going all the way back to the web planet. So I don't really see the, the problem there. And the other thing is that the dinosaurs are fine to me because they're not the focus of the story. Like we spend about an episode, you know, oh, what do we do with these dinosaurs and having dinosaur encounters, but for them and, and there are several cliffhangers involving the dinosaurs. Yes. But they're not the focus of the story. The story really isn't about how do we stop this invasion of the dinosaurs? The story is about how do we prevent these scientists from sending the world back to the past. And I think that, um, that's what makes this story so good. You know, I love Malcolm Hulk's stories in general. I think he's a very thoughtful writer. And what I like a lot about this one is that it very much um, approaches his usual subject matter from a different angle. You know, this one is asking, what happens when the activists are the bad guys? You know, what happens when the people who want to save the earth, when the people who want to stop pollution, when the people who want to protect the animals, are the bad ones and are going too far? And and I think that's a you know that's always a, a an important question to ask, even when you're advocating for a better world. Um, so I think it works really well in that regard. Um, I think um, you know the the whole plot with Yates is really good it really works because he was just working undercover in the green death. So in this one, he shows up and he's with the bad guys again. you're like, Oh, okay. So Yates is going to be doing the, you know, going to be doing this thing with the, with the, um, Yates is going to be, he's, he's a spy again. He's doing what he was doing before. And that's not the case. He's actually betraying everyone. And so that's very surprising. And, I also like how this is, you know, this is still all part of Sarah's first trip in the TARDIS. So, you know, she's just completely rolling with, uh, with whatever's happening. And yeah, I, I think that first episode is fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I, it's, it's not the best episode in the world, but I mean, for a six-parter, it rarely drags. I, I think it's really good. I like it a lot.
0: Yeah, there's certainly a lot on offer, and you've, uh, you've both mentioned sort of where Yates was in the Green Death and that he was undercover, and I do. I do quite like the thought that he's kind of been affected by what happened in the Green Death um, and that's kind of carried over here and that's the motivation for his betrayal. And whether that's the intention, whether that's the case or whether it's just a bit of a coincidence, I don't know. Um, We discussed last time sort of Joe Grant's story and how much of that was genuine character progression character arc and how much of it was just a bit of an accident really um i like to think that this was intentional that sort of what happened to yates in the green death does lead to this um because it is it's a really nice and good bit of sort of character development an interesting bit of character development and it's made even better by the fact that he does return in planet of the spiders kind of after unit and after all of this and He kind of makes amends with the Doctor and the Brigadier. Um, I quite like it. Uh, We'll move on to the next story. I think this next one might be one of the weirdest Doctor Who stories ever. Just the music's weird. It's shot weird. It looks weird. It's directed weird. Uh, The characters are weird. The aliens are weird. The Daleks are weird. Um, It's death to the Daleks. It, It just it really sort of stands out as an oddity. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's not a bad story. There's a lot to enjoy, but there's just so much kind of strange, not quite fitting in with the era stuff going on. Now, we talked about this with Planet of the Daleks and Terry Nation sort of writing for a show that's still stuck in 1964. Um, and I think that it's he's tried to modernise here, but also tried to... Churn out the same Dalek story again, and the results are uh, a strange anomaly, I guess. Um, what are your thoughts on it, Jimmy? Death to the Daleks?
2: Well, yeah, it's definitely one of the per- poorer Pertwee stories. It's a bit of a shame that he got three Dalek stories, and none of them are particularly great. It's, um, yeah, it's a real pity. I mean, Maybe we lucked out that he didn't get a spider story. Maybe it would have been as bad as these. But, um, I mean, it's not entirely terrible. It still has some good points. But, um, yeah, it's very slow to get started too. And the atmosphere at the start is so dim and dark, especially with the TARDIS power loss and the outside planet being on at night. And another weird thing is the way that they'd just done Invasion of the Dinosaurs, where they called the first episode Invasion to hide the monsters that were appearing. And yet they didn't think oh, maybe we should just call this one death before the Daleks appear at the first cliffhanger. I mean, you know, they did so well hiding the dinosaurs and then they just didn't think to do the same thing in the very next story. It's a bit of a pity. Um, yeah, and um, it's a shame the story doesn't really work very well, but um, <laughs> the one of the few things I like is the idea of the Daleks having to reverse back and use normal guns instead, and it sort of makes them a bit more grounded almost, and it's a clever way to get around the uh, planet's energy drain thing, but, um, yeah, it's still not handled very well overall. Like, the tiny TARDIS target the Daleks are practising their shooting on is just so ridiculous and silly. It's just, what were they even thinking there? And the music when the Daleks first appear and afterwards semi-regularly throughout the thing is so annoying, the... Do, do 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 or whatever it was it was just so oh really grating and they sort of were trying to make a point I think with the exelon people about uh oh, the rebels versus the religious persecution thing and it could have been handled better but they just for ninety nine percent of the story they're just acting like generic tribal primitive whatever they um they're not really handled as people or characters and so it doesn't really work what they're trying to go for completely fails and it it sort of kind of races as well because it does it ties into what they say later in the story that's another embarrassing bit is the bit where they're talking about, oh, this wonderful temple complex thing and the doctor is seeing the symbols and he's like, I saw them in Peru, but, oh, no, the Native Americans are too primitive and stupid to have built their own temples. It's clearly these aliens and it's just like, oh, I mean, I know it's the 70s, but that is really frigging dodgy. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's such a silly story. And then you've got the cliffhanger of, oh, no, it's a floor and that's, that's your cut. And um, it's similar to, I said in a previous Pertwee story, Colony in Space, when the two guards are talking about how they're betraying their people right next to the door guard. There's a bit like this here, but it it, it might have been meant to have been a cut, but if it was, it was handled very badly where the Daleks are talking about, okay, we can't tell the people this, that and the other, and two seconds later cut to what looks like the same group of Daleks not having moved and one of them's just talking to the humans. And, yeah, it's... Definitely one of the poorer Pertwee's. It's a real shame because it should have been something great for Sarah's first Dalek story and, you know, Pertwee's final Dalek story, but, yeah, it wasn't, and it's a pity.
0: Yeah, it. it I don't know what it is. It, it, is it a draft away from being a good story? Is, is there some kind of extra pressure on the production of this one? Is it too ambitious a script to realise, you know, a massive sentient city? I I just can't put my finger on really what makes this story not good or well, not brilliant. I guess it's a good story. It's a fun story, and it's you know it's always one to look forward to when doing a marathon. And the sort of tentacle coming out of the lake and destroying the Dalek It's a really good image. It's just it just has little bits of greatness and little bits of absurdity. The stop, don't move cliffhanger. Um, you know, the sinister-looking floor. It, it's it's got to be one of the most bizarre. And I, I know the cliffhanger was planned to be elsewhere, and sort of episode times are all over the place, which really does seem to be a problem this season for some reason. Um, but it, it's yeah, I, I can't really see anywhere around that scene that would make a decent cliffhanger. I assume it's. The implication that the Daleks have caught up with the Doctor and Bilal uh, slightly before, but it's there's there's no point in there that would have been a good cliffhanger, really. But Stop, Don't Move definitely isn't the best choice. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts?
1: It's not just that it's Stop, Don't Move, it's that it's... um... It's not that it's stop, don't move. It's that they're standing at the front of the hallway and you can very obviously see the red thing on the floor from the start of the hallway. Like, it's very clear in the shot. There is absolutely no way that two people would walk down that hallway and not see it until they were right on top of it. So it's just it's just ill-judged. And I and I think, honestly, that's really the story of, of Death to the Daleks. Why is it called Death to the Daleks? I don't know. Um, you know, you had... Terry Nation you know left Doctor Who and, and and left the UK and went to you know try to make the Daleks a thing in America and then and then we got two David Whitaker Dalek stories in the Troughton era and they were absolutely brilliant and then Nation came back and then you know we got Planet of the Daleks and now we get this and it's just it it doesn't work I mean it it I I agree it definitely has a a so-bad-it's-good quality about it because so much of it is just so ridiculous, but I I don't think that that means that it's a good story, unfortunately. It it, it has its fun moments to watch, but a lot of it is just... uh, I don't know. Like... Sarah in this one, like after being written in the first, in her first two stories is this almost like new feeling companion, like this, you know, and this incisive person, this independent person, you know, here she's just transformed right back into, you know, stereotypical 1960s, you know, not quite screaming, but screaming Dr. Who companion kind of thing, you know? And what I like is Elizabeth uh, Slayton, like, Pl- tries to play against that a little bit, like she delivers some of those what-is-it-doctor kind of lines with kind of like a wink and a smile. So, I mean, she's she's trying to put more into the character than what she's been given on the page, but it it it, it doesn't work very well. Um, the The sound is not good. I mean, we've talked about the music, but also like when we see the Exylons you know, having their ceremonies or whatever there's that like like chanting in the background and it's very obviously dubbed in it's very obviously like part of the soundtrack and not what's being recorded and it it just takes you right out of the scene um there is some interesting stuff in here like the daleks um you know not having weaponry and there's a scene where a dalek is trying to use its gun to exterminate and it's panicking because the gun isn't working and it's screaming exterminate in a louder and more panicked voice that really works well like that that little moment there is a really good insight into how daleks operate so i mean there's some there's some good here i mean it's not this is not uh the time monster like this is this has some redeeming qualities but it it just really feels like a bizarre step backward for a season that's otherwise like starting to feel like it's pushing doctor who in a new direction whereas this one despite some of the weirdness about it just feels like it's pulling in the opposite direction and yeah i this one this is my least favorite of the season it's it, i i liked it less than i remembered but at the same time like there was still some material in there that did catch my eye so
0: I suppose you could argue that this is perhaps the last backwards-looking story for quite a while. You know, when we enter uh, season 12, the Dalek story, I think Robert Holmes just turned around and went, no, Terry, we're not doing that again. Here's something different. Um, And it it kind of... Everything else in in season 12 does feel a bit fresh and a bit more forward-looking. I know that Ark in Space kind of originated as a very, very 60s story from a 60s writer. But again, Robert Holmes went, no, we're not doing that. We're doing something different. Um, So, yeah, perhaps you could argue that this is kind of the last, sort of the last go at doing 60s Doctor Who. But the problem is we're in 1974 now and it's just, it's moved on so far since then. Um, It's, yeah, it's it's a strange old story. It, it, It feels as though it was just thrown together in a bit of a desperate sort of attempt to just get it done, get it made, and let's move on to something more interesting. Um, so the next story is the Monster of Peladon, which, as I've already said, is my favourite, and I'm aware that that's a bizarre a bizarre opinion to have. I know that a lot of people sort of compare it with the censorites in terms of nothing happening and that kind of thing. I think there's an awful lot going on in... Uh, Monster of Peladon I, I think that um, it's a really really good sequel to Curse I think it builds on Curse I think revisiting a planet 50 years after the Doctor last visited and seeing what comes next is very interesting I think that there's um, just a lot to appreciate in this one a lot to enjoy and um, yeah I'll let you guys go though go for it Jimmy
2: yeah I um I definitely don't think it's one of the best or whatever like you might, but I do think it's underrated and I do think it's quite enjoyable. I think it makes a great follow-up to Curse. Um, Once again, it's sort of become more topical with age, with the whole EU metaphor about joining the Federation and all that, and now the days we've got Brexit going on and that, and it sort of comes relevant all over again and... I think it's an enjoyable story, and I think the aliens are handled better this time around, like that Vega Nexus or whatever he actually gets a name, and the Ice Warriors get names, and it's not like last time where Alpha Centauri, representative of Alpha Centauri. Um, and But speaking of Alpha, I think they're handled very well here. I um, I love how they're always a little bit afraid, but they still talk back when Eckersley stops, them, stops the Ice Warriors or whatever from killing Alpha, and Alpha's just like, Thank you, Eckersley, but you were still a traitor. And it's just like, I love that Alpha talks back even when it's just nearly been killed. It's such a nice little moment. And, yeah, Peladon gets such a great revisit and it's good to see how the side is different and how it's the same as it ever was in some other ways. Um, I like the dynamic between um, Sarah Jane and the Queen and especially the early line about nothing only about being a girl and then how they hark back to it at the end of the story with nothing only about being a minor and they sort of help the queen become the power that she's sort of meant to be. And yeah, just sort of give her the chance to actually rule rather than be in the shadows. And um, again, you've got the sort of villainous underling in Ortron, but he actually comes good. And as soon as the ice warriors are there and, He unites with the miners quite happily and then he sacrifices himself for the queen, and it's such a nice little moment. But, um, and speaking of that, the ice warriors are handled really well here. It's a shame to see them back to villains again so soon, but they play the role well. And the line about them being a breakaway group and the main ice warriors still being good is a nice sort of cover to sort of excuse it. Um, and then the other thing with this story I like is the foreshadowing of the regeneration that's coming up. There's Uh, a line early on where Sarah says about the doctor always telling her where there's life, and then that's nearly his last words. And when she seems to have nearly died from Eckersley's trap and he sort of wakes up and he's looking at Sarah and he's like, tears, and again, it goes back to the, the next story when he actually does regenerate. And I don't know how much of it was intentional foreshadowing or how much of it was just recycling lines or whatever but. In hindsight, it works really well for me, and so yeah, I um I love this story. I I don't think it's one of the best ever or anything, but it's definitely underrated and definitely enjoyable for me.
0: And uh, what about you, Greg?
1: I'm uh I'm on the same page as both of you. I mean, I, I don't think it's a masterpiece or anything like that, but I think it is much better than its reputation. I was kind of expecting to be bored out of my mind by this story going into it, but in fact, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I mean, it it's it's a successful sequel to another story, which is something that we so rarely get in Doctor Who, like actual sequels of of, of, of serials, you know later on. And I think it, it it's really you know interesting how it how it takes the same basic setting with the same basic character archetypes and, flips them around so you know in the first story in the first peloton story we see the ice warriors we're used to them being villains and then we find out that no they're actually like honorable and on our side and now here we see the ice Warriors. so now we're kind of thinking like okay well they were pretty good in the last one so maybe despite their rough exterior they're you know trying to help here and no they're not they're the bad guys this time and this time it's the federation itself you know who has representatives that are betraying Peladon, as opposed to people from within. And the people on Peladon are rightly concerned about the Federation, and some of their concerns are proven valid in this story. And yeah, I mean, I I think you know it, it's a very it's a very progressive story. I mean, you know, we we we've got you know a good message here about women's rights. We've got a good message about workers' rights. You know, we've got. Arguments about the pluses and minuses of you know uh, joining what's effectively a common market, like th- there's a lot that's that's going on here that I think works really well. Um, I mean, I I do think that there's there's really no reason why, and I've said this about so many of these six parters, there's really no reason why this couldn't have been a four parter. Like I don't I don't think we gain anything from that extra time, but I don't think it feels tedious. Like I'm not bored watching it. It just it does get a little bit repetitive here and there. But that's really my only complaint about it. I mean it's a it's a smart script. It's an interesting sequel to something we've seen in the past. It's it's interesting to see, you know, how Sarah reacts in this environment versus how Joe reacted in that environment. I mean it's and it's one of the, you know, first times that the Doctor really trades on his reputation too. I mean that's something that in the, you know, in the modern series happens all the time, but, you know, here to have him be like, I'm the doctor and I've been here before. and Everyone's like, oh yeah. Okay. It's, 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 it's good. I mean, it, 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 it feels fresher than, than perhaps its reputation would dictate. And I, I liked it.
0: I mean, it gets that reputation for being another six part per twee story that goes on a bit too long and you can argue it does there is a lot of running around caves there's a lot of capture and escape you know the doctor sits in a cell for an episode for no real reason uh but to waste a bit of time um but it's there's still a lot of good stuff in there and i think that actually that That revealed cliffhanger at the end of part three, uh, where the Ice Warriors come out the door, it's a really good cliffhanger. It's a really good sort of way to pivot a six-parter halfway through. And, okay, the first half has been internal squabbling and politics, and we've had sort of a bit of a rehash from Curse, with Autron being little more than another Hepesh, really. But all of a sudden, we've now got Ice Warriors have turned up, and they're as you say, Greg, we're sort of subverting the subversion in the previous Peladon story. Um, I I do think it's a sequel that improves on the first. I think it's The Empire Strikes Back to Curse of Peladon's A New Hope. Um, But it's, yeah, it it does have its faults. The same cave set used again and again and again and again, just shot from a different angle. Um, The Doctor seems to be in the refinery and slowly being tortured to death by Eckersley for, I mean, it feels like it goes on for about three episodes. I think it's only actually half of one. Um, There's, you know, the bit at the end where Eckersley escapes and they end up setting Agador onto him, and that sort of feels tacked on when the rest of the story's all over and done with. It just sort of fills out a bit more time. We do have some long uh, cliffhanger reprieves here. The fight with um, Etis at the end of the... Is it the end of the fourth episode, I think? That goes on forever, and then it seems to go on forever again in the reprise. It seems to replay the whole fight. Um, So, yeah, it is padded. It is sort of uh, a little bit too padded, definitely. But at the same time, I really, really like what's going on. I really like what's going on with Alpha Centauri. I like Sarah Jane's approach to Peladon being entirely different to Joe's. You know, Sarah Jane's not going to fall in love with any princes. Um, I, I And I think that the Ice Warriors are genuinely at their most menacing here. I think they're really, really effective bad guys. Um you know, Azaxia is nasty, he's sadistic, he will work people till they die, he will kill them, he will take hostages to save his own skin, he's he's a nasty piece of work, and it, it kind of is a callback to more what I think the Ice Warriors were intended to be. I think, you know, they're supposed to be sort of like Viking berserker type things, but actually they're slow lumbering tortoises, but we kind of get the the sort of more energetic ice warriors in this, I guess. They're still easy to run away from, but they're, they're nasty. They're not taking prisoners. They're declaring martial law. They are in charge, and woe betide anybody who tries arguing with that. Um, it's a great story for the Doctor and Sarah. It's full of an interesting cast of aliens, and I genuinely never saw the Eckersley's the Traitor Uh, sort of twist coming when I first saw it that genuinely caught me off guard and it's a great performance it's great character um and yeah it's it's a good story and I'm I'm kind of glad that you guys like it as well because I'm very very used to saying I like this story and a lot of people going what no it's too long and it's boring and that same Welsh actor dies about 13 times and yeah that's all true but there's all the good bits as well um So yeah, Monstropeladon is... If if there's anybody listening to this that hasn't seen it for a while, go back to it, give it another go. It's slow, but there's a lot to enjoy. Um, We'll move on, though, and we'll move on to uh, another story that I think is actually quite underrated. Uh, It's Planet of the Spiders, obviously John Pertwee's final. um, And... there's a lot to love about this story, but I think the thing I love the most is that the the second episode is just sort of completely handed over to in, indulging its star man. He gets to do a multi-vehicle chase. It's a huge action sequence. It takes up the majority of the episode. It's arguably the most ambitious bit of filming Doctor Who has done at all up to this point. Um, and I think it's great. I think it's just... Pertwee's in his absolute element and it, it, it sort of does fit in with the context of the story and what's going on. Uh, there's some great performances, I love the flitting between Metabilis and Earth, there's almost twin storylines going on and we are. It, it's comfortable to kind of leave one behind for a bit, go to the other and then after a while just revisit the first setting. It, it's it, It's an interesting way of doing Doctor Who actually, it's it's not an Earth-based story, but it's not an outer space story. It's it, it has that link, and I think that works really well. We kind of get a reduced role for what's left of the unit family. The Brigadier's in the first couple of episodes, and then pops up again for the regeneration. Uh, again, Benton's in it, but only in a small role. Uh, but it does give Mike Yates a bigger role and a sort of a proper a proper maybe not a proper send-off for the character. There's no real goodbye scene, uh, but he he does certainly go through a bit of a redemption phase in this after the events of Invasion of the Dinosaurs. Uh, so, Jimmy, Planet of the Spiders, go for it.
2: Yeah, um, most of what you say I agree with but I've got to disagree on the chase scene I've I hated that but it was so ridiculous so added so overlong and so pointless I mean if it had actually gone somewhere it might have been good but after they drag it out all that time and then the spider's like oh okay I'll teleport you away instead and it's just like what was the point of all that oh my god it was such a waste I mean usually with stories, people say a padded, I can, I disagree. And I'm like, no, there's character stuff. There's this, there's that. I like this, but this story, I was just like, no, the padding was ridiculous. Even for me, I hated that bit. But with the exception of that bit, I love the story. I think it does a real great job by Yates. I think it's a little bit of a shame. They don't use the Brigand Benton that much and that they don't actually get to interact with Yates. It's he's, he's only interacting with Sarah of the sort of main characters, but it's good to have him back and it's good to have him sort of redeem himself a bit. And it's also good to see that he doesn't just give up on the adventuring and the worrying about what's going on with aliens, or whatever. He's still investigating things. He's still, he thinks something's sus at this monastery, so he goes to investigate it. It's, it's a good story for him and I really like that. But, um, yeah, other than him, the um, the spiders are brilliantly handled. I think it's such a great idea to have these they, they were originally just normal spiders from Earth, and they've gone through all this evolution thanks to the crystal, and they've become powerful. And it's yeah, it's such an interesting idea, and they make great villains. And I like the way it sort of handles the Buddhism monastery sort of side of things. Campo slash Cho J is a very interesting character. It's a shame about the you know casting and the yellow face or whatever, but um, the um, the actual character idea is good, and the way they tie it back in his implied, if not outright, confirmed to be the old wise man that, you know, the Doctor was talking about in that daisiest daisy speech and that he talks again in this story about. And so And they do a great job of foreshadowing the regeneration with him and his line about the old man dies and the new man comes forth and it's sort of being a way to show talk to Sarah about regeneration. Then he gets his own regeneration and she gets to see that before the actual regeneration of the Doctor and I think that works really well um also the the start of the story I like the funny stuff with the the doctor and the brig basically spending all day waiting for the um psychic who's actually he's not a fake psychic he's a fake fake psychic he's real that's a clever idea, and just the idea that you know you see by the time the psychic's there that the whole place has gone dark, and it's just did the, the doctor and the brigadier just hang hanging out all day. At, this, at all these boring shows before it, like there's the crappy comedian and then there's the um, <laughs> the exotic dancer and I love the Briggs excuse for enjoying it about adapting the exercises for the men. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's a funny one. Um, but, yeah, I'm such a good story. I think the the one thing I'll say is the, the sort of odd thing they handle with Tommy, like in one on one hand they handle some of it well when they have the bit about oh, you're just like everyone else. And he's like, oh, I hope not. But then later they undercut it when the abbot says that the crystal cured him. And so it's like on one hand they handled it well that he doesn't just want to be normal, but then the abbot's like, oh, yeah, he's cured, he's better now. And so they sort of mishandled that a bit. And the other funny thing with Tommy I like is when Sarah gives him the brooch or whatever and Yates is like, oh, you know, teases her about flirting or whatever. But then later in the story... Tommy likes one of Yates' bits of and so Yates gives him it and it's the exact same thing. And it's just, it's rare that the classic series went in that sort of direction, but it's nice to have a sort of a little bit of, you know, maybe Yates is gay, like his actor sort of thing. And just because he looks so awkward after he does the same thing and gives Tommy his pretty. It's, yeah, I, I like that. But I think the best thing about the story is the way it handles the regeneration. As I said, we're foreshadowing it with Campo and cho but... Um ultimately, the best part of the regeneration for me was when the Doctor lands in the unit um, facility and he's he says, the TARDIS brought me home. And that's such a great summary of Pertwee's era because he started off so pissed off to be exiled to Earth. He hated being stuck there. He's frustrated with the Brigadier. He wanted to go every opportunity he could, and yet by the end of his era, he's calling unit home. And I think that's, you know... It it might have just been meant as a throwaway line, but I think it really sums up his era, just how much he grew to love Earth and grew to love Unit And, yeah, it's such a brilliant end for him. And then the regeneration itself, of course, is heartbreaking, but it's brilliant. And, yeah, such, such a great story. I'm looking forward to moving on to the Tommy era, though.
0: I I really like the fact that obviously at some point the third doctor did decide that he didn't hate Earth and yeah but you're right by the end of it he it's it's his home the TARDIS brings him back and I mean it's also nice and convenient that the Brigadier and Sarah witness him regenerating so there's no you're not the doctor that took up the best part of half of spearhead in space we can move straight into it with robot he is the doctor it's a new doctor let's go um but, yeah, excellent story. And it, it's, you know, you mentioned how great the regeneration is. It also actually gives regeneration a name. It's actually called regeneration for the first time in this. So, we've had Gallifrey for the first time, and we've had regeneration for the first time in this season. So, things are definitely kind of moving forward in terms of developing a bit of a, I suppose, a lore for the series or a mythos. Uh, Greg, what are your thoughts on Planet of the Spiders?
1: there's a lot of good in the in Planet of the Spiders and then there's some not so good um we'll start with the good because there there really is some some good stuff here I I really like the first episode you know I, I think it's brilliant how they they bring Yates back into it like this we, I mean Yates and Benton have been part of the unit you know family since season eight and of course the Brigadier's been around for a long time but really this is the first time that we've seen like active character development for a supporting character like between stories like this. You know, the Brigadier's pretty much the same guy. Benton's pretty much the same guy. But here, like, oh no, in the last story, Yates betrayed everyone. So now here he's at a you know meditative retreat trying to get his mind back in order. And that's that's really interesting. And I think it's you know well done. And I think Richard Franklin really plays the part well. Um, I I like the fact that the story shifts between locations. I think that's something that you know Doctor Who often does to its benefit because it you know keeps things feeling fresh. Um, and pretty much everything from about the midway point of episode five through to the end is, is is fantastic. I mean the the voice acting on the great one is is excellent. You know, is that fear I see in your mind like that? That's so good. And then finding out that Kanpo is actually a Time Lord and the Doctor's old mentor and, like, guiding him towards, you know, making the self-sacrificial but ultimately correct decision. Um, everything then in the last episode leading to the, you know, lead to the Doctor going into the cave of Crystal and then the, the Coda back on Earth, the regeneration scene, like, it's all so well done. Like, you know, the... It, it's one of the it's hard to compare regeneration scenes because they're all kind of their own thing. But, you know, a tear, Sarah Jane is just a a wonderful line. And, you know, having uh, Ken Poe reappear and like give the regenerative process a put like everything about that is great. Like I, if, if the, if the story was episodes one, five and six, I would be, I would call it a masterpiece. Unfortunately, it also has episodes two, three, and four. Now, I know you talked about how the, the chase sequence in episode two is ambitious, and it's basically there to reward John Pertwee because, you know, he loved his vehicles and so on. And it is ambitious, and it does have a lot of vehicles, and I'm sure it cost a good chunk of the budget, but it is directed so limply, like, that it just, to me, doesn't work at all. Like, those, the, the, the vehicles just never seem like they're in the same location with each other. Like, the, the they try to speed up the film to make the car chase seem more exciting, but it's just really obviously sped up. It doesn't, it just goes on for way too long, but by the time he's jumping in a hovercraft, it's like, what are we doing here? Like, again, I get it's, it's indulgent for him, but you know, he's not the one watching it. (laughs) So I don't know. Um, And then episodes three and four is just like, if we're talking about tributes to the Pertwee era, well, it's a tribute to the, padding and the capturing and recapturing because nothing really happens in those episodes and it's just you know being different characters being imprisoned in different places and going to other places just to be imprisoned again um, so you know it, it has it, it is for better or for worse a Pertwee era six parter it has some wonderful moments in it and at the same time it has some obvious flaws um, but I mean, again, the the ending really makes up for so much of that. Like, it's so it's so touching, it's so emotional, and and yeah, I mean, I I think it ends on a high note, even if there are parts of it that uh, I would have reconsidered myself.
0: I think Planet of the Spiders actually features a a wonderful tribute to the uh, well to William Hartnell and the William Hartnell era, uh, in a sense that it features the final final serial to feature that Doctor includes an episode where the doctor's asleep for the whole thing um different reasons i know but yes there's there's definitely a parallel to be drawn there um yeah it, it's ultimately yeah it's a Pertwee six parter it, it outstays its welcome but it has so many moments of brilliance uh that a lot of the Pertwee six parters don't have that i'm willing to forgive it and i, I do enjoy that car chase well that, vehicle chase multi-vehicle chase um it's it's not the most gripping thing ever but it's it's ambitious and it's fun and it's something just a little bit different it's a different way to pad out the story at the very least um so uh that's it john pertwee he's regenerated tom baker is lying on the floor of the unit lab and uh ready for us to pick up season 12 next time um i guess really just. Um, let's take a moment for some final words on the Pertwee era. Maybe what your favourite season has been, and highlights, and the best part of Pertwee's doctor. So, Jimmy, you go first.
2: Yeah, Pertwee's a brilliant doctor. I um, I've definitely grown to enjoy his portrayal more over rewatching the whole season, in, season, the whole era in order. Um, yeah, as as I've said often in this podcast, my favourite sort of era of the show is the 60s. But I think um, Pertwee did a great job of following it up and taking the show into that new era. I think he's, you know, it's a very mixed era. Like, I think lots of it is brilliant, but then there's lots of stuff that isn't as well. But I think it strikes a good balance and definitely the regulars are the thing that really shine. Like, all three of his main companions, all of the unit family, the Doctor himself, the Master... Every single, <clears throat> every single actor in it and every single one of their characters of that sort of family is, does such a brilliant job. And it's just, yeah, even when the stories are poor, the the team makes it. And so that's something that I really enjoy about his era. I, yeah, as I said earlier, it's hard to pick a favourite for individual stories. I'd say I'm torn three ways between Spearhead, Green Death and Time Warrior. They're they're the real highlights and favourites of his era for me. To pick a season's even harder because all of them have great highs uh, and most of them have pretty low lows as well. I mean, I'd probably say season 11. I I love the Sarah Jane dynamic and it, I think it does such a good job of shaking up the Perchwee era right before it ends and we head into this new era. Um, so, yeah, I'd have to pick it overall, I think. But... Yeah, it's it's an excellent era and it's a shame to see it end, but um I'm looking forward to moving on and covering the Tom Baker era. It's always good to see the start of a new era and as much as I miss the previous one, it's yeah, always delightful to begin that new one.
0: It, it's it is a difficult one to pick a best season from. Uh, I find that the Pertwee era is definitely book-ended by its two best seasons. I love Seven, it's different, it's inventive, it's entirely unique, it manages to make the long serials work, um, and of course Eleven, uh, It it is a, a forward-looking, exciting um, set of stories, and it, it does have that excellent dynamic with Sarah that just gets built on um, when Tom Baker comes in, but I think it the fact that it has such a strong sort of baseline to be built from that's established in this season does make it really special. Um, I'd still struggle to pick a story. Uh, the first one that comes to mind is Inferno, but I'm going to stop this recording and go, oh, drat, why didn't I mention this other story? Uh, Monster Peladon, definitely up there for me, um, as would Be uh silurians uh, yeah there's there's loads of great stuff in the pertwee era um so greg your final thoughts on on the third doctor
1: i think the the best way to define the pertwee era for me is it's it's doctor who comfort food um it's it's a very like season 7 which is my favorite is kind of its own thing but then once you get into seasons 8 through 11 it kind of settles into this you know, unit family groove. And I think it, 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 it works in that regard. I think it's, it's, it's very like, it's, it's, there, there are a number of episodes which, you know, try to make thematic arguments, societal arguments, political arguments. Um, there are certainly, you know, some episodes that you know, we try, we do return to space-based stories. We do get a historical story near the end. Um, but it's just, it's very steady. Um, and, and I think that's also true of John Pertwee himself. Like, I, I don't think that he was ever setting out to do anything, you know, particularly challenging as the Doctor. Like, he's a very, like, comforting figure. Like, he's always, you know, the, the, this this Doctor is always so, like, so confident, so in control. Like, it's very rare to ever see this Doctor in a situation where he he doesn't know what to do. Um, he has this, you know, paternalistic like relationship with his companions, you know, he's just, when, 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 when the third doctor is there, like you feel safe basically. And I, and I think that's, that's, that's fantastic. You know, like, I think that's, that's why to me you watch the Pertly era is like just for, you know, to, for, for, for comfort basically. Um, in terms of, you know, favorite story, it's either Inferno or The Green Death for me. I mean, Inferno is just a, a masterpiece, and then Green Death is quite possibly the, the greatest, you know, companion departure story of the entire classic series. So, I mean, I think those are 1A are and 1B for me. Um and, you know, I, I'm I'm going to, I, I've, I've, this, you know, the first two Doctors, I mean, I, I've, there's nothing in this run that I'm watching for the first time. I've seen everything a lot, but I'd seen the first two Doctors considerably less than I've seen everything from here on, you know, from the third Doctor onward. And so this really feels like a revisitation for me, you know, going through the Pertwee era. And, you know, it, it's been interesting to, you know, pick out some stories that are better than I remembered, some that aren't as good as I remembered. And, you know, just to, to, rein, you know, reinforce to me, like why I liked this era so much when I was young and why I liked this doctor so much. And I think it's, I think it's, yeah, it, it's, it's a very consistent, solid, comfortable era of Doctor Who. And there's, there's, Pluses and minuses to that, but ultimately, I think the, the pluses more than went out, and it's he'll, he'll be missed. But at the same time, very much looking forward to the Tom Baker era.
0: I think that's something we all agree on. Uh, the Tom Baker era is going to be absolutely brilliant to cover. Um, uh, you know, we'll be moving on to season 12. Uh, well, that'll be our next episode, obviously. And I think season 12 is perhaps the most well known, uh, classic classic season it may be fair to say um so it would be quite interesting to see how we appreciate these you know big well-known stories um you know Ark in space genesis of the daleks they are considered you know widely to be up there with the best sort of thing um so yeah i'm looking forward to getting to that um so we're all gonna go away do our homework and we will be back for another season by season soon when we do enter the tom baker era But in the meantime, I will say thank you and goodbye to Jimmy.
2: Thank you. Uh, Looking forward to next time.
0: And thank you and goodbye to Greg.
1: Thank you and goodbye.
0: And we'll be back for more spodcasting very soon. Goodbye now.